Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. We have a very hot weekend coming up, and we got a couple of gardeners on the line, and we also have somebody that still has Christmas lights on her house. It's today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. We're a little bit punchy because it is Friday in May, a week before the holiday weekend. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, Laura Johnston. Lisa, you still have some plants to get out into your garden, I do. I've got some perennials and some flowers I need to put in, and I should have done it last night but uh, because it's going to be hot today. But, yeah, my garden is really starting to look good. And Laura, you're you're you probably had all your plants in by February 28th, right? Oh, you're hilarious! <laughs> no, I've got I, I got some zinnias last weekend. They're all in, and um, I planted. I, my peas are starting to come up, but no, I think we should have made listeners guess like who still had the Christmas lights up. And <laughs> with well, she has an excuse. Her house is <laughs> under construction, and she's not living there, That's so I can't right. really. Make, we our no. lawn is overgrown. We have a dumpster and a porta potty there. And our Christmas lights are still on. <laughs> I'm so I'm you. sure I'm that the city the is writing a ticket for me as they're listening to this. <laughs> Taking their little but measuring tape out But you'll be back Memorial Day weekend, right? Yeah, yeah, hopefully. So we should, don't worry, neighbors. I promise. <laughs> we, don't, don't give up on us. <laughs> you need a tractor to mow your lawn if it's going to be that bad. All right, so you're that fan. And we are. All right, let's get going. Do we finally know what happened to all of the workers who quit in Northeast Ohio during the pandemic? Are more planning to quit? And are there any lessons employers can learn from a just-released survey of thousands of Northeast Ohio workers? Laura, good stuff in this survey by the Fund for the Economic Future. All sorts of good stuff. And I can't say that we have definitive answers here because there is so much data. I think the preliminary findings alone filled 160 pages from the Fund for Economic Future. And this was a survey of nearly 5,000 working adults across 11 counties in Northeast Ohio. And basically, it shows that the great resignation is far from over. One in five workers in Northeast Ohio are still thinking of quitting in the next year. Maybe in part because they don't like being in the office. That's one of the reasons people were giving for why they were not happy with their jobs. There's all sorts of data in here. It's going to take a long time to get through and really sort it out. And they're still surveying people. They're still asking more questions. But um, money does talk. 81% of working age adults say the good wage was very important. At meaningful work, flexible hours, paid time off, and advancement are all really important to people. Yeah, what I what I saw in it, and I, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody that's lived through the pandemic, is that workers are looking for more than money. They want the money. Yeah. Clearly, they they know that they if they quit without having a job, they can find another one of the same or better pay. 
But they want all those intangibles, which, you know, we've learned from our own newsroom that people are, are focused on those. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's a different market. And some employers think this is a passing phase. Some things it's a, it's a sea change in employees, and that's something they're going to keep digging into. But it's very clear. We talked yesterday about the restaurant industry that people want to have a life. The pandemic really made you sit back, rethink what you were doing. And a lot of people just don't want to live to work. They want to work to live. So um, what I thought was really interesting is that 54% of the people surveyed who were not employed and that excluded retirees, 54% of them said they were not looking for work, but only 7.4 said they were choosing not to. And there were barriers like um, parents that they had to take care of or children they had to take care of, disabilities that prevented them from working or health issues. So you re- realize there are a lot of things that we as a society could be doing to help get people employed. I think it's wishful thinking by the employers that think it's a passing phase. I think this was the big change in American society. And this is the way people will be thinking going forward. They have a lot of focuses and they don't want to just give their life to their jobs. Uh, it, it, it's hard for employers, not for us. We hired three reporters this week. We're at full <laughs> we staff did. again. I know it's so exciting and they are so talented and we are, I'm so excited to welcome them to the team. And now that we're back in the newsroom once a week, we have a pretty flexible schedule that hopefully, and they'll, hopefully they'll find all our work meaningful. But I agree with you. I think this is changing the workforce. I think kids who are growing up now see their parents working from home and that's normal for them. So I don't think we're going to go back to a nine to five office culture. And kids know so much more about their parents' jobs now, which I find hilarious. But yeah, it's kind of um, dangerous, actually. <laughs> Right. My kids hear me complain right. my, about some stuff that I'm. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a... going to kill office parties, right? Because if we meet your kids, they're going to say, oh, you're that guy. <laughs> I, my kids have a guessing game to see who's on the other end of the phone. They're like, is it Chris? Is it Layla? Like, you know, who's on the phone? But um, there, there are some things that you could take from this about what employers could do. Someone with a criminal record who's been shut out of employment for years, they don't feel welcome in the workplace. But, I mean, that is changing. So there, there's whole pockets of people that we could probably get into these jobs if, if we communicate a little bit better. Like was, marijuana use doesn't necessarily mean you can't have a job. I was surprised that dogs and pets didn't come up. New York Times had a story this week about all the people in New York that got a dog, and they've built this relationship with their pets, and they don't want to leave them. And the pets are not used to being left home alone. And that's become a block to people coming back to work. That is very, very – I don't know if that was a question on this. I didn't see that in the survey, but I think that's a really great point. Somebody told me at the office this week, they're like, I had to pay a dog walker so I could come into work today. (laughs) And it's like, this is costing me. And, you know – We've had our dog for two years now, and so we've been home the entire time. And when I've come home on the last two Wednesdays being at work, he, like, jumps all over me, like, where were you? Yeah, well, it's a golden retriever. They have that separation anxiety. It's one of the great things is when you come home, they get very excited. Until they get old like mine, and they just kind of barely lift their head. It's today in Ohio. The decision is now final for East Cleveland and Newburgh Heights. 
Why is a ruling from the Ohio Supreme Court bad for their municipal budgets? Layla, I would say this is good for people that don't like getting jacked with lousy tickets. And I hate getting jacked by tickets. So on Thursday, the Ohio Supreme Court unanimously upheld a 2019 state law that set financial disincentives for local governments in Ohio to use speed and red light cameras. And the state law reduces state funding to municipality by the amount of money it bills in traffic camera uh, fines. The law also requires local governments governments to pay costs and fees in advance when taking civil action to enforce a traffic camera citation except for cases involving school zones. Well, the village of Newburgh Heights and the city of East Cleveland had challenged that law. They were arguing that it violates their home rule powers guaranteed in the Ohio Constitution. But the court shot down that argument and said, actually, the Ohio Constitution doesn't require the General Assembly to appropriate any funds to municipalities, and it doesn't create a specific right for a municipality to receive local government funds from the state. The requirement to pay costs and fees ahead of time merely requires that municipalities that ask state courts to enforce citations issued using traffic cameras shoulder the costs that their own litigation creates. That's what they've said. So the case heads back to the Ohio 8th District Court of Appeals. And I think, what do you think? That pretty much does it for for these cameras? Uh, Yeah, and East Cleveland had set their cameras at like one mile above the speed limit in 25 zones. They were just using this to to feed their budget. It was very much a gotcha. There, There is the whole other school of thought, though, that with all of the racial profiling that police do, we talked about University Circle Police yesterday, that the cameras take that away, that the cameras are colorblind and, and it takes away the bias. And there are people that would much prefer a system that is universal and fair. Count me in. Does I, This is what I want to know. Does this apply to Lindale? <laughs> <laughs> well, at Lindale, haven't they had the officers sitting by the car so that they can write tickets left and right? I mean, if you have an officer there, I think you could still do it. It's when you don't have anybody oh. there and that cameras just flash but i i just it it does that we do see more and more that that police target people of color and and you wonder whether part of the motivation for stamping this out is because of that i just this why go ahead but why did the legislature work so hard to stop cities from using automated cameras? Well, it's obnoxious. That's why. I mean, initially, <laughs> the General Assembly tried to ban the cameras unless a cop was stationed with them, like you said. But the court then determined that that actually did infringe upon home rule authority. So they went about it this way, which is probably the most clever state law ever created. <laughs> because if the argument is that the cameras are really there to promote public safety rather than make money for a municipality then the fact that they're making no money shouldn't stop them from using the cameras, right? Because you still get to use the camera. You still get to free up your police officers to do other work, but you're just not turning tickets into a revenue stream. So it still serves the public safety function. It still serves the function you're describing of being colorblind. You're just not raking in cash from it. So please, East Cleveland, use your cameras. if If you're claiming it's not about making money, go ahead. I think this was this was a brilliant move on the on the uh, part of the General Assembly to write it this way. And we'll see. They're going to shut down those cameras because what's the point now? It's not about making money all of a sudden. That's what's going to well, happen. Didn't, Mayfield, didn't the village of Mayfield or Mayfield Heights just put an uh, uh, automated camera 271, on 271, yes. but they have an office... 
but an officer sits with it, so they get to collect all that money. That wasn't about money, though, Lisa. That was about public safety. That's well, they claim. you and don't course, drive that section of 271, Chris. The average speed for ticketing was like 90. I mean, it, they, they drive very fast there. So you're not going to hear me arguing against cameras. So oh, I hate cameras. <laughs> okay. I mean, Lindale. So Lindale just like forever will be what it is. That town is literally nothing but a few houses, a speed camera, and a mayor's court. <laughs> and if you're guessing that I got twice and got caught twice in one day by that camera, you guessed correctly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving on. You are listening to Today in Ohio. Will abortion be illegal in Ohio immediately if the U.S. Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, leaving rules on abortion to legislatures in each state? Lisa, this was a little bit of a surprise. Well, uh, there are two trigger bills lined up in the legislature right now, uh, that, but they're not far enough along in the process. Uh, it's Senate Bill 123 and House Bill 598 companion bills called the Human Life Protection Act. So what happens once a bill is signed by the governor, it takes it has to be filed with the Secretary of State, and it takes 91 days to go into effect. So if Roe v. Wade is overturned in June, as expected, abortion will still be legal until the bill goes through that process of 91 days before it can be enacted. So, and there was the committee meeting yesterday about House Bill 598. It got pretty testy. Um, they were talking about different, they did do a couple of things. So, so House Bill 598 basically says that you, abortions are just illegal, basically, and doctors can be prosecuted for doing one. Um, there are no exceptions for rape or incest in this bill. But yesterday during this committee meeting, they did uh, insert an amendment that allows doctors to terminate ectopic or tubal pregnancies without fear of prosecution. Yeah, it'll, it, it, they'll, they'll make it illegal quickly. But it, it seems like what Huffman, the Senate president, was saying was, we don't want to pass something that's not ironclad. Correct. So we need to see the Supreme Court ruling first to know what our parameters are going to be. Right. He said that he wants Ohio's anti-abortion bill to be airtight, quote unquote. And so, yes, you, as you said, he's waiting for the final opinion before they pass what he calls a pro-life bill. And there... I also... No, I was just going to say, this also makes it a, a, you know, it's now called criminal abortion, and it's a fourth degree felony if abortions are done by instruments or medication. I got to think that there's a draft constitutional amendment already in the works somewhere that the, the people who believe in abortion rights will immediately begin circulating to change the Ohio Constitution to make abortions legal. That the, 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 the surveys of Ohio residents have said that they, they're good with Roe v. Wade and what it says. So I imagine that because the, the legislature is gerrymandered and it really doesn't represent the majority of Ohio, that you'll see that almost immediately it'll be on the ballot next year. Yeah, and of course, earlier this, and we talked about it on the podcast earlier, uh, Senator Sandra Williams of Cleveland proposed a constitutional amendment to guarantee access to contraceptives and abortion. She doesn't think it's going to pass, but it did get introduced earlier this week. 
Yeah, it's not the way it'll get there. It'll get there through a citizen petition, and I imagine that we'll be voting on it in 2023. It's Today in Ohio. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. With the temperature predicted to hit 92 today, we wondered how rare that is. How often, Laura, does the temperature hit 90 in the month of May? I remember Memorial Day last year being wintry. Exactly. I was standing at a lacrosse game wearing like four coats like last Memorial Day. But since 2000, eight other days in May have reached 90 degrees or higher. That includes if we hit it today or tomorrow is also supposed to be really hot in parts of Northeast Ohio. That means there's a 1% chance of weather this warm happening during the month. So really rare. The hottest day ever in May was 2018 on May 28th. That was 93 degrees. Um, Of course, that's just since they've been keeping records at Cleveland Hopkins Airport since the 30s. But the average high is around 58 for May. What is the the highest temperature ever hit in May? Was that the 93? 93, yeah, that we know of. So we could actually break that today if it goes a little bit higher than predicted. Yes, and of course we could also hit a a specific day, you know, the date um, record. What is today, May? (laughs) 20th. Yeah, no, we'll hit it. If If we get above 90, it'll be a record. The tough thing about hitting 90 in May is our bodies are not ready for it yet, so it I feels know. way hotter. I know. By August, you're, like, very accustomed to the heat. In May, you're like, I've still got my winter skin on, right? Like, right. This, it's, this it's is, cool. And you're like, your sweat glands are not ready. And, yeah, and I always feel bad for the dogs that are just like, oh, my gosh. And, um, yeah, so you might, might be turning on your air conditioning already. And I think, you know, how long ago was it that we had heat on? You know, you just switch from one to the other in Northeast Ohio. This week. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, I woke up, it was 63 in my house the other day. I had to finally turn on the heat. Going from heat there. I don't have air conditioning, so I don't have that problem. It's today in Ohio. Is Cleveland Public Power finally doing what state law requires and giving people the chance for a hearing before their power gets cut off? Layla, I thought this was taken care of when you were writing columns right. obliterating the city <laughs> for its failure to do it. It was great stuff. What took so long? So, uh... Well, so yeah, a couple of years ago, early 2020, um, I had written a column revealing the, the fact that CPP had been failing in its legal responsibility to notify its customers on, on their disconnection notices of their right to appeal. Also, those appeals should have been heard by CPP's board of review, which would then rule on whether those customers qualify for a payment plan or, or some other reprieve from disconnection based on disability, senior citizen status, or extreme weather conditions, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But but CPP's disconnection notices never provided that information for customers. And in fact, there, there never was a board of review. It never, ever, ever existed. And that flies in the face of, of a 1978 U.S. Supreme Court ruling declaring it unconstitutional for a municipal utility to terminate service without giving customers a chance to voice their complaints. So back then, we're talking like February 2020, Kevin Kelly, who was the council president at the time, pledged that he would make sure a review board would be assembled. 
However, that was at the very beginning edge of the pandemic. And then CPP entered a moratorium on utility shutoffs, which was great, but it kind of meant that they could kick the can down the road on that whole review board issue. So they didn't really assemble it. They didn't follow through because they didn't need to. And I'm so happy to report that even though it means that they've resumed utility shutoffs and disconnections, it seems to be finally happen- happening that they're putting this board together. They, they're they formally establishing that appeals process. City Council's Utilities Committee signed off Wednesday on legislation that cements the process into the city's codified ordinances. The full council could approve it as soon as Monday. It creates a three-member arbitration panel to hear customer complaints and review data from accounts and give customers a chance to make their case if they want to challenge their power disconnection. So yes, took two years. Uh, but this is the people finally getting their their uh, due process. What was ridiculous about this when you reported it was the water department did everything right, and they're all under the same utilities budgeting line item. So for one of them to be doing everything right and the other one just abusing the citizenry was unconscionable. And you, you, you remember, they were doing some verbal gymnastics back then. You had to really drill them to get to the truth. Yeah, it was so strange. And, and, and I remember finally getting to the heart of it by just calling customer service myself and, be, and just asking point blank, if I were to if I were to 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 cha- want to challenge my bill, is there a way to do that? And the customer service rep was like, "No, there's no way to do that." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, well, there you have it." <laughs> and uh, was, uh... and meanwhile, like you said, the water department had a very clear, clearly established path for people to to go about challenging, and it was laid out on on the website, and you know, it was it was you know. And that also, I think, spun out of plain dealer reporting long ago. Remember all the work that <laughs> that our reporters yeah. did to shine a light on on the dysfunctional, uh, you know, customer service and all the problems that that people were reporting back then. So, so I'm so glad to see that this finally is. It's been on my mind for a while because I had been wondering have those disconnections been coming about. I'm so glad that this came up when I saw that Courtney's story came through. I was like, whoa, finally, finally, they, they're doing this. I'm very happy about Layla it. Layla Tassi gets action. <laughs> this is what your subscriptions pay for, that kind of watchdog reporting. If it weren't for Layla being I'll, on staff here, on. they'd still be abusing the customers. So if you don't subscribe, you might want to do it. It's Today in Ohio. Did the Republicans in the Ohio legislature vote in overwhelming numbers this week to spend huge amounts of federal infrastructure dollars in the program they all opposed when Congress adopted it? What are they spending it on? And Lisa, can you spell hypocrisy? <laughs> H-Y, no, C-U-P-P, never mind. Um, how... <laughs> <laughs> House Bill 338 passed with wide margins in both the House and the Senate. Um, It's $700 million that will be given to Ohio under the bipartisan infrastructure law and how they're going to spend that. The bill now goes to DeWine for his signature. The bill authorizes uh, that the Ohio Department of Transportation receive $660 
$72.6 million for highway construction and $18.3 million for public transportation. It also authorizes the spending of up to $1.5 billion to renovate Cincinnati's Brent Spence Bridge. It will also allow Ohio to forge agreements with other states to collect tolls owed by out-of-state residents. Um, and so what would happen if, if you were driving on Ohio and got a ticket and you live in Indiana, then they can refuse your vehicle registration in Indiana or your application until it's paid. So, and it also does weird things like it, uh, current and former military uh, people can obtain commercial driver's license without a knowledge test. And it also allows private motorcycle safety courses to have a final exam different than the state's exam, but it must exceed state requirements. But yes, you know, and of course, almost every Republican in Congress voted against the infrastructure bill, but here they are in their home states, you know, bragging about the money they're bringing home. <laughs> well, they're all blaming the, the way the Biden administration has provided lots of money during the pandemic at, for, the, for inflation. They're saying, oh, it's Biden's inflation, it's Biden's inflation. Well, if they felt that strongly about it, they didn't have to spend the money, of course. They're hypocrites. They're going to spend the money while still saying that Joe Biden has created inflation. Good stuff. Infrastructure is always good to spend on, as we know, because we got a bridge in town that was so dangerous it had to be closed. It's today in Ohio. What can people do to help Cuyahoga County memorialize the victims of the pandemic? Laura, I don't think we'll ever know exactly how many people died from the pandemic, but recently... Everybody kind of pointed to we hit the million dollar or million person number. Yeah, no, it's sad. And I don't know exactly if we can ever quantify how many people had COVID or you know died of COVID because so many people died that doesn't have COVID on their on their death certificate. But we're talking more than 3,700 victims in Cuyahoga County. Another 269,000 residents were infected. And so Cuyahoga County wants to put together a memorial. And they're encouraging the community to send in suggestions for something interactive that allows us to all honor their victims. And it would celebrate the area's resilience and honor the heroes. Um, obviously, healthcare workers included. You could talk about non-physical ceremonies or events, physical places or monuments. There's not a whole lot of restrictions, um, and artists are encouraged to put forward their ideas. But I think regular people can too. Yeah, it's it's good of them to seek public comment. For we all know people now who've lost people, or we've know you know related to people who died from it. And I think asking them how they'd like to market is is a nice thing to do for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a huge turning point in our history and our culture, and it'll be nice to have something to commemorate that. And it's not supposed to be just, you know, maudlin. It wants to be restorative and generous and resilient, embracing the individual and collective availability to change our way of life so we emerge stronger and better together. So it could be a really positive thing. Yep. I wonder if they're going to spend ARPA money on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's today in Ohio. Speaking of ARPA money, how is Ohio proposing to spend another $400 million plus in stimulus money? Layla, it seems like the governor is trying to get votes in his heartland. Yeah, so they're going to disperse the money among the smaller towns and townships. These are Ohio's non-entitlement government units. They're cities, cities of 50,000 people or less, villages and townships. The requirement is that it's spent to directly reimburse costs associated with responding to the pandemic. Of course, we know 
that can be stretched to cover a great deal of territory, though. But the money has to be spent by the end of the fiscal year 2023 or they lose it. So they got to put the pedal to the metal here and come up with some grand plans. Uh, this same group of local governments got $422 million last June from the previous round of ARPA funding. The feds, you know, of course, doled out the ARPA money over two years. Overall, half of the $10 billion the state got from ARPA will go to the state government with the other half going to local governments. So that's what they're doing with it. Yeah, and some of those I will be in our in our area, but most of it goes to the rural areas where the the governor gets yeah. most of his support from the voters. I, he doesn't get it in the urban. I areas. was really glad to see that Andrew Tobias noted in his story that Governor Dewine criticized ARPA before congressional Democrats and Biden passed it. And in fact, you know, Dewine said last year that he would have voted against ARPA had he still been in Congress at the time. And now he's basking in the glory mm. of all that can be achieved with that windfall, you know, like well, a one and a half billion. Can you spell to, hypocrisy? Exactly. Like <laughs> what, uh, what do you expect? What Mike DeWine running for reelection is, is nothing if not a hypocrite, I guess, because he's, he's so all about all of the, the these expenses, half a million to invest right. in Appalachian, Ohio and 250 million in police grants. Like he's all over town with, with these, uh, this, you know, bragging about this stuff, like he, like he came up with this idea for. Yeah, I know, I know. It's the hypocrisy. It's today in Ohio. We've got one more. How many people will participate in the Cleveland Marathon this weekend? They're going to be hot, right? Yes, the 45th annual Union Home Mortgage Cleveland Marathon kicks off Sunday with. 8,000 runners, and the weather's not going to be great. It's going to be muggy, it's going to be warm, and there might possibly be some showers when race time starts. Um, This is the first time they're back at their original time because last year the pandemic moved the race to October and then there was a virtual marathon in 2020 so we're back to normal more or less and it's a whole weekend of stuff there's the University Hospitals Health Fitness Expo today there are 5k and 10k races tomorrow and then the half and the full marathon go off on Sunday participants come from nine countries and 47 states with all levels of expertise cleveland.com and the plain dealer talked to one runner 85-year-old Jim Mackard of Lakewood. He's run in every race since it started in 1978. He was a cross-country and track runner at Lakewood High School. He has advice for people for the marathon. He says, good shoes and realistic goals. So, Laura, you've run in a couple of these things. If you're running and it's 90 degrees, are you praying for rain or is the rain miserable? I think that they would want rain. And to be clear, I have never run a marathon. I've never run a half marathon. My husband's running the half. And yeah, I think he would much prefer like, you know, windy and 50 uh, than to this. But uh, sometimes they have misting stations that runners can run through to keep you cool. Usually May is not the, the bane of existence for marathon runners. It's usually cooler than this. So hopefully there'll be some nice lake breezes coming up. I feel like wet feet during a marathon would be miserable. Well, and humidity. Like that's like blister that's city, true. right? Any sort of humidity is terrible. Yeah, yeah they're... Ex- okay, well, <laughs> I, I would imagine the cold rain would make you feel a little bit better, but I don't know. I'm, the, the running marathons has always been like 
foreign foreign to me. I can't understand why you would do it. Good luck, runners. Good luck. <laughs> it's today in Ohio. That does it for a Friday conversation. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens. Come on back Monday. We'll be talking about the news.